Welcome to the BNA Talks podcast with me, Wayne Massey. Um, it's wonderful that you've joined me. We are working our way through Mark's Gospel. We've reached chapter six. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying working our way through Mark and looking at, it, looking at the book and all the sections in a little bit more depth. Just a reminder, so last week we were in chapter five. Uh, Jesus uh, frees uh, a man from a demonic possession of lots, a legion of demons, raises his Jairus' daughter, and heals a woman who's been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. And so clear demonstrations of Jesus' power and authority over cosmic order, over spiritual forces, over death, and over sickness. So we're going to roll on to chapter 6. And given all the amazing things that's been happening, if chapter 6 has a kind of theme, it's a mixture of rejection and not quite rejection, sort of rejection without quite getting who Jesus is, that even despite all that he says and all that he does, people still don't get it. Let's see what we discover. So um, it's a bit more like Mark normally, so lots of different sections. So I'm going to read the first bit, which is verse 1-6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So it's nice to know that even uh, Jesus suffers from um, being pigeonholed when he goes back to where he was from. So I was kind of struck by the difference between uh, what this short little few verses tell us about what God is like. So God is the God who, who teaches uh, with all wisdom, who, who speaks, you know, like when Jesus talks about being a prophet. Uh, so we're just reminded that God is revealing himself. God is not hidden uh, and God reveals the truth about who he is, about who we are and about the world. Uh, to us all the time but people they might be amazed but they're amazed in a way that lacks faith and that takes offense I wonder how often we see that uh, in culture around us that actually God is constantly revealing himself but actually people take offense at that truth and lack faith um, the word amaze that Mark uses he, he uses a lot and he uses it quite often in, in kind of con- connection with the crowds as they re- react to Jesus's teaching and to his miracles um, it doesn't mean belief, it just means astonished. Uh, a reminder, uh, I just think the reminder, a couple of things about Jesus' upbringing. Number one, um, isn't this the carpenter? Uh, that to, those people would have known him as a, as a carpenter, as, as, um, as one of them. And just a reminder that actually Jesus' ministry kicks off after years of obscurity. Um, the other thing that came out is um, when they call him Mary's son. And lots of commentators say, does that mean that his hometown knew about the, the unusual circumstances of his birth, his backstory? And of course, also Jesus' family, uh, those who, who appear elsewhere in the Gospels, coming to uh, take him away when he's out of his mind. And um, the offence, so the people were offended. The, the image, the word play there is the idea of like sort of stumbling or tripping over something. So you ever gone for a walk in the woods and, uh, you know, there's a path where um, like a sort of a, a root of a tree has come up. And if you're not looking, you suddenly stumble over and you trip. And actually that actually that's what Jesus does to people. They kind of stumble over, trip over uh, him when they come across him. There's a refusal to believe. 
Um, but of course, there are the implications that come from that, uh, our refusal to believe who Jesus is. And that phrase, a prophet is not without honour, is seen as being quite a well-known phrase of the day. So it kind of he's basically quoting back a cultural phrase to them, saying, you know, well, actually, this is how things are. It's just a, a reminder that actually, the, for us human beings, it, having difficulty to accept Jesus is the norm. Because actually, the message of the cross... Uh, the message of Jesus, the message that we need rescue, you know, w- without his grace, there is no health within us, as the as the daily prayer says. Um, it, it's foolishness and it's weakness. Uh, and so we need the spirit of God to illuminate our hearts and minds to get who Jesus is. Uh, so that's verses one to six, a prophet without honor, Je- ex- accepting Jesus. Um, it's not the norm. Difficulty in accepting Jesus is the norm. Let's read on from there. So 6b through to verse 13. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So um, there's a pattern here um, similar to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Jesus calls them to him, gives them all authority and sends them out. Um, And so this is the ministry of Jesus is not just to be carried on by Jesus. See, only Jesus can go to the cross and die for our sins. But actually the ministry of Jesus and proclaiming the truth, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, um, that is given to the disciples and given at the Great Commission to us, the church. And that ministry we do, and they did, relying on God. That's what we'll come into these instructions in depth in a second. But actually that's what lies behind those instructions, rely fully on God. Uh, and then the other course of thing is we see is that they do what Jesus was doing and the people respond in a similar manner. So authority is a big um, deal in Mark's gospel, who, the authority that Jesus has. But then now also it's now shared. Jesus shares his authority with his disciples into his instructions. These are in verse eight. So take nothing. There's this sense of urgency. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Now that bag would have been a bag that either, like if you were a beggar, you would have carried around, but also if you were like a traveling philosopher, uh, you would have carried around to collect money. And this contrasts culture where they're saying, don't, don't travel with the bag uh, where people put money in, but rely on people's generosity. Um, you know, so, so already live differently. The extra shirt, don't take an extra shirt. Uh, again, it's just that emphasis, trust Trust in God. You won't need that extra shirt to sleep in or to, because people are going to take you in. Uh, and then that shaking the dust, that would have been a kind of cultural thing where you would have been declaring a place unclean. So it's quite a powerful thing to shake the dust off your feet as you leave somewhere, a real cultural act. And then verse 12 and 13, you're going to read the command. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? And for Mark, that's the point. The Jesus people look and sound like Jesus. I wonder if that's the truth of us as a church. Is it the truth of you? When people see you, um, do they see someone who looks and sounds and acts like Jesus? Now, there is acceptance and rejection in that. Um, So 
they're driving out demons, they're anointing people and healing them, but also Jesus prepares them for where people won't welcome them. But the, the key thing is we are invited, we are called to Jesus, we are given all authority by Jesus and we are sent out um, by him. And do we look and act and like him? Do people see Jesus uh, in us? That's 6 to 13. Uh, verses 14, a bit of a longer one here, 14 to 29. Um, I was going to say another famous story, but um, if you're a Christian, hopefully all the gospel stories are famous stories. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. I'm going to pause there. So this is um, the son of Herod the Great. He's not really a king. He's a tetrarch, which kind of he's a client king of Rome. So his position is uh, not massively secure. He needs to keep Rome happy uh, and keep peace in the land. This Herod ruled over um, Galilee and Perea. He ruled from about 4 BC to about 39 AD. So he's kind of a a key guy for um, the time of Jesus. His father was um, from Edom, so that he's not fully Jewish. He's of um, uh, Edomite descent. And, and so the Herods were seen um, by the Jews as not just only kind of like hanging out with the Romans, but as not Romans, um, because they were vassals of Rome, uh, but also not being properly Jewish. So it's so actually within culture, uh, status in terms of acceptance by the Jews was quite weak. So King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others say he is Elijah. And others still claimed he's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask for me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Quick tangent, there's a chainsaw outside. It was out the front of the house, so I moved to the back of the house, but now it's out the back of the house. So I'm going to push on. Um, right, what I, culture doesn't like to be challenged. So here we have Herod. He's focused on himself. Uh, and he's also focused on the kind of favour of those immediately around him, which actually is going to lead to the problem that he has um, when he has John killed. So Herod, interestingly enough, seems to be trapped uh, between um, a kind of desire, I think, to hear the truth as John speaks it, but also the favour of others. And his perspective, what matters is kind of politics and keeping people happy, will determine his actions and determine consequences, I think, for John, for others, but also for him. Um, early on that people are saying is it John the Baptist been raised from the dead about Jesus or is he Elijah and um, they didn't believe in like a spiritual uh, in, sorry physical forgive me they didn't believe in physical resurrection so they believed kind of almost Jesus being like a spiritual resurrection 
of John. And Elijah is often, uh, Jesus acts like a prophet because um, he speaks the words of God. So quite often we see uh, Jesus being linked with Elijah in by the crowds and by those um, around him. So there's a sense that, you know, word of Jesus is getting out and getting to Herod. Now, Herod has married his brother's wife. Uh, it's illegal under Jewish law. You can look it up in Leviticus. Um, and the tension, we get the tension in the marriage is that um, Herodias, his wife, bears a grudge against John because John has been calling Herod out. But Herod respected John. Not quite sure whether or not it's because he likes what John has to say or because he knows that John has the favour of all the people. But whatever it is, there's his tension. Herodias would like John completely removed, but she can do nothing because her husband, the Tetrarch, the king, um, wants to keep John uh, alive. I wonder, challenge to us as church, and also, I mean, I, th- I personally think nationally, but also in, all the way down locally, how often do we call out culture, whether it be in this, you know, in our families, in the office, at school, at university, uh, around us, how often are, are we willing to call out culture and where it's wrong, like John did? Um, Herod, it says, was puzzled by John. Um, he was greatly puzzled. Um, that word could be translated as disturbed. So actually, whenever John spoke, Herod kind of found himself like troubled, um, at a loss, as it were. Um, and I think the gospel often does that to people, doesn't it? This sense that actually those words that bring life um, until the point that you know that they bring life can bring distress. The question is what you then go and do. Herod throws a birthday party. Uh, now, Salome, for that is who we uh, writers believe it is, comes and she dances. It's very, it's unclear in the text as to whether or not um, the dance has kind of got there's sexual tension at play here, uh, and whether or not uh, Herod has been aroused as much as pleased by her. But whatever has happened, he makes this grandiose gesture in front of all of these people. Whatever it is, up to half a kingdom, big public vow, whatever you want. And a big issue now at play here is honour and shame. It's a big thing in the culture. He has to hold his word. He mustn't be seen to lose face. And so Herodias, who's been unable to be rid of John, takes this opportunity. She realises that he's going to have to act. And so she says, get me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And despite his distress, he goes through with it. A couple of questions. Uh, Are we like Herod? Do we fear man or do we fear God? Just a reminder that even the most powerful people fear man or fear other human beings. The invitation is to fear God, which is a good thing. And then the other one as well is, do we call out culture like John did or do we stay silent? Both have consequences. Let's not duck that issue. The question is, are we going to think about eternal consequences or short term? So that was uh, the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, Moving on, verse 30 to verse 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So actually, if you think about it, we've just sent out the 12. uh, And then it's almost like the John the Baptist thing is a bit of a kind of like sort of it's not a tangent, but it's just a kind of this is where we're up to in the story. And now we're back with the apostles coming back from having been sent out. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So first principle there is actually we, we serve the Lord. We do all that we do from a place of being filled up. Um, so the first, you know, the first thing we do uh, in, in the Genesis story is we have Sabbath with God. And our ministry, your ministry, my ministry, what we do, our vocation, what we do for the Lord, what we do in life must come from a place of rest and a place of encounter with God 
uh, before anything else. So they've come back, and Jesus says, the first thing you need to do is get filled up again, as it were. So come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and get there ahead of them. Got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So the quiet place, um, a picture of the wilderness, which is the place to, to pray, to meet with God. Old Testament is full of wilderness stories where people have met with God. That word compassion, Jesus is literally, he's gutted. It literally means Jesus was gutted. And actually the Gospels record again and again how Jesus is moved by compassion. So he began teaching them many things. By the time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? That response Uh, So they see the problem. They say to Jesus, can you fix this? The way to fix it is send everybody away. And he says, no, 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 the way to fix this is for you to give them some food. And their response by going, oh, my word, that's half a year's wages, shows that even though they've just come back, where they have been driving from traveling um, and and driving out demons and anointing the sick and healing them. And can you imagine coming back as a two and going, this is what happened. This is what we saw. And then the other guy's going, yeah, the same, the same, the same. You'd think it would build faith so that when this happens and Jesus goes, let's feed them, you'd go, oh, yeah, miracle. No. Um, that our default response often is, oh, no, can't do it. What? Half a year's wages. Uh, I just think that's kind of interesting. It's a real kind of I don't know, lesson for me is how often am I living, am, am I stepping out in faith or just responding instinctively in, in my own strength and going, uh-uh, can't do it. So he answered, you give them something to eat. They said that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? So how many loaves do you, he asked, go and see? So we're not told about the boy here, but when they find out, they say five and two fish. Jesus directed them all to have the people sit in groups on the green grass, probably a logistical thing. It's easier to give the food out. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Everybody's needs are met, but also met and satisfied. Everybody eats and eats so that there is so much left over. One of those baskets would fit a grown person and there were 12 baskets. Two things we need to see there is the how just overwhelmingly generous God is. When he provides, boy, does he provide. And also, of course, the 12 baskets in the wilderness, 12 tribes in the Exodus. So it's a callback. Jesus is the new, he's, he's the new Moses, but he's, of course, we know he's going to be even better. 5,000 men had eaten, which means, of course, that there were women and children. The crowd would have been a lot larger. Jesus can create. He can feed out of nothing almost. It's also kind of, well, not out of nothing because he's got, he can because he's God. But he's got the five loaves and two fish. And it kind of creates you ex nihilo, the God who just creates with a word. And he looks up, gives thanks, bang, everybody's fed. Let's move on. Verse is 45 to 56 as the chapter closes. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida. So that's to the north of the lake. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So he still seeks solitude with his heavenly father. 
Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts, their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So the disciples are in trouble. Um, it's before dawn. Um, in other texts, it says the fourth watch. So it could be about 3 a.m. maybe in the morning. So somebody said, one commentator said if they'd started out at dusk, they could have been at sea for about nine hours. So they're quite tired now. Um, they're struggling, really are struggling. And then here comes Jesus walking on the water, walking on the water, outpacing them all rowing. Um, the miracle, again, the, the, God who, the God who can, well, the man, we know it's his God, but the man who can stop a storm can walk on the water. Once again, we see that Jesus has control over creation. Um, the walking on the water recalls Job, where God is described as the one who treads on the waves. And then Jesus says, take courage, it is I. Ego me, I am. Is Jesus identifying himself as God? I think he is. You can look up where that is used in Isaiah's chapters 43, 48 and 51. But most famously, I think in Exodus 3, when um, Moses says to the, to the Lord in the burning bush, who shall I say uh, sent me? Say I am sent me. So Jesus, in his actions and in his words, is, ident- is, is saying, hey guys, who do you think I am? And we the readers know this is God. Now, it says their hearts were hardened. They still had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Miracles point to who Jesus is. When we're involved in the miraculous, it doesn't point to us. Again, it points to who Jesus is. Because the miraculous in the life of our church or any church is something that is in the gap between what we can do and what only God can do. So all of these miracles are, are, are shedding light on the person of Jesus, who he is and what he can do. And, and always getting everybody to ask the question, who is this? But this is just a reminder that the disciples, despite having been sent out, despite all they've seen, still don't get it. Their perceptions are still not quite right. Now, we know as we go on through Mark that they are going to get it, but they don't. And I think that's a, I kind of find that quite reassuring in a sense when I think about my friends who, who ask me questions of faith or who I pray for, is that actually sometimes it takes time for the penny to drop. Uh, it takes time for uh, perceptions to shift and to change. And so it, it causes me to pray for my friends, uh, to pray for the people I love who don't yet know Jesus, uh, and to pray that their hearts wouldn't be hardened, but they would be softened um, by stories and by encounters. And then they cross over and they land, and, and Jesus just he carries on healing. Um, the cloak bit at the end, they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who tussled touched it were heels and um, recalls again the woman in chapter five who reached out and touched his cloak but also um you could the edge could be translated tassels and the tassels on a jewish garment signified devotion to god so again it was this sense of um, god is at work god is at work so as we close chapter six the question is is who again who is this jesus uh, and are we going to accept him 
or are we going to reject him? Who is this Jesus and are we going to accept him or are we going to reject him? So from chapter six, same three questions as every week. What struck you about what God is like? What did you need to hear as a follower of Jesus? And what truth from uh, this chapter has struck you for those people that you love and serve? What struck you about God? What did you need to hear? And what truth for those you love and serve? God bless and we'll catch you next week for chapter seven.